Welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. And we saw down in verse 16, Jesus had taken his disciples, or 15, Jesus took his disciples, remember, up to Caesarea Philippi. It's a beautiful area. It's at the north part. It's where the treat settings. Uh, it's just a wonderful, beautiful place. But it's also a place where sin is just prevalent. It was the center of Baal worship. It is where the temple uh, to the pagan god, Roman god Pan, was. And so Jesus takes them in this beautiful setting, but surrounded by sin. And maybe we can relate to that today. And he asks them this question down in verse 15 of chapter 16. But who do you say I am? He's asking his disciples in this place, this beautiful place, but where sin is prevalent. Who do you say I am? And as we noted last Sunday, Jesus did not ask him, who do you think I am? He wasn't looking for a debate or a roundtable discussion regarding his identity. It wasn't like, let's sit down and talk about this, and perhaps later we'll come to some sort of decision together. And neither did he ask them this question, who do you believe I am? You would think that this would be important to know what one believes. However, we know how what one believes does not always correlate with how one acts. In fact, we know that even the devil and the demons believed who Jesus was. They testified to that. But they were not willing to act on their, what they believed and follow. So they're forever lost. So Jesus wasn't just saying, what do you believe? Or didn't want a roundtable discussion concerning his identity. He asked his disciples, who do you say I am? In other words, what, who do you, what do you confess? What are you ready to confess and then stand behind that confession of who I am? And it was Peter who spoke up. Remember, he said um, in, in Matthew chapter 16, uh, where we're around verse um, 16, 17, 17, you are the blessed Simon, son of John. He says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus blesses Peter and then we get down to verse 18, which I want to focus on today in Matthew 16. Verse 18, Jesus says this. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Hearing Peter's confession, Jesus says, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to build my church upon that. Now notice when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, he didn't clear the table and put down some uh, building blueprints. So this is how we're going to build the church. Why? Because a church is not a building, it's a people. So Jesus begins to build his church by building his people. In fact, this is the first time we ever hear the word church mentioned in the scriptures. In the original language of the New Testament, the word for church here is, is ecclesia. And we understand, to understand what Jesus meant by this word helps us to understand what he, what he sees the church he's building, what he considers it to be. And the word ecclesia means this, a called out assembly 
or congregation. It's important for us to understand this. It's important to see us as being called out. We are set apart. Do, you understand? Do we know that? For a particular purpose, for a particular mission. We're different. We're distinct from others in this world. And as the people who follow Jesus, we have a purpose, we have a mission, we have a direction, we have a reason and a hope that others don't have without him. And, and these things should be evident in the way we live our life. People should look at us and go, oh, I was listening, uh, Joanne, when you are praying in prayer start this morning, that, that we would have the peace that others would see that in us. They say there's something different about that person. That's not just who they are. It's something different. What is it? It's Jesus in us. Jesus says in John 15, 19, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you don't, he says. You are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out, to be set apart. I'm calling you out. And so the world doesn't like that, but the world hates you. So we understand part as a church. If the church wants to make a difference in the world, it must be different. From the world. And I guess if the church is a people, then what I would say is, if I want to make a difference in the world, if I'm the church, then I must be different from the world. I'm going to reflect the values, not of the world, but of Jesus. I'm going to reflect the mission, not of this world, what it says to pursue, but what Jesus says I should pursue. And I need to reflect the purposes of Jesus in my life. So the word ecclesiast means to be called out. It also means we are to gather together. We are called out and we're called to assemble together. John Wesley, one of my heroes, he said, The New Testament knows nothing of solitary religion. And he goes on to say the New Testament knows nothing of a private individual faith. And some, you know, they'll argue like, yeah, but like, I'm happy to be part of that universal church, but I don't want to be joined to the local church. And, and that would be like someone saying, yeah, I want to be a member of the NHL, the National Hockey League, but I don't want to join a visible local team that meets together for training, practicing, and deployment on game day as a team. It's like saying, yeah, I, I want to be a member of the NHL. Well, who do you play for? Well, nobody. Be like saying, I want to be a pilot in the Canadian Air Force, but I don't want to join a visible fighting unit that meets together, that trains together, that plans together, that encourages one another, and deploys together in action. That'd be bizarre. And so is the notion that one could be a member of the church, universal church, without joining a visible local body for training, for encouragement, and deployment together. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, all of you together, we're going to hear that word together a lot today, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you are a part of it. And the scripture that I've referred to in the past, I see it as really the blueprint for 
the church, it was in the early church, I still believe it's, it's the blueprint for the church today. It's found in Acts 2, 42 and 47. Let's look at that together. I put it in your notes. It should be up on the screen as well. <laughs> this is after Peter preached at Pentecost. 3,000 were added to their number. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. I love that. Everyone's filled with awe. I want that. At the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Listen, all the believers were what? Together. And they had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and, and they ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, what did he do? He said, I can work with that. He added to their number daily those who are being saved. The idea of the church is being a place where we gather together is also found in Hebrews 10.25. There it says, and let us not neglect our meeting, what, together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And there are two things we learn from that. There's many things, but two things we can learn from that. One, the day of Jesus' return is drawing near. And as we look around, we observe the world and, and we see that, you know, the choices they're making and how far away from God they are. I don't think any of us would be surprised if God said, okay, this is the time I've been talking about. This is the time I've been speaking about in the scriptures. I'm going to come back. I'm going to send my son. Jesus returns. The world ends. Judgment takes place. And those who follow Jesus go with him for eternity. And those who didn't go without him for eternity. So we know the day is drawing near. The second truth is this. Our gathering together encourages one another. Rick Warren wrote, without a church family, you'll drift when it's tough to trust, trust Christ. See how important your role is? Without a church family, the good and the bad, you're going you're gonna to drift. And I've seen that happen when it's tough. When you find it difficult to trust him, others will come around you and, and, and help you and encourage you. I know I would not be where I am today in my relationship with Jesus if it were not for his church. When I was in school to become a pastor, I was required to preach a sermon in the church that Glenn and I attended. And I remember using an illustration that in the message, this is like 35 years ago, and I'm sure you have heard it sometime in a sermon or in, in a reading or a Sunday school lesson, but at the time it was new to me and it really spoke to me. And it goes like this about the church. A church is kind of like a campfire. In a campfire, you've got all these red hot coals. If you remove one single coal out of the fire and set it far away, it will cool in a matter of minutes. The fire goes out. And the coal grows dark, goes dark. But if you take that coal that is lost in its fire and put it back into the fire, it gets hot again. And that's the power of the fellowship of the church. Of imperfect people like us. There's power in that. I was... Um, I have been, was battling discouragement one day recently just because this is such a challenging time for, for ministry. It really is. Like, 
uh, the desire for people to assemble together has really dropped. Um, and it really, you know, it weighs against you and you, you wonder and you think and you pray and you wonder and you think and you pray. And it really gets discouraging, I'll be honest with you. It's really discouraging. And I just felt God saying, Mark, just I want you to watch this video. And I had no idea why he wanted me to watch this video because it didn't make sense. I knew it was in the video. But I began to watch it and understand what he was trying to say to me. And I want to share that message to you. I want to play some of the video for you right now. Just watch this, um, this video. So it's a video I'm told and it made in the 1950s. It's of uh, people in a small fishing village in Cape Breton attending church on a Sunday morning. It's the only church in town. Everybody knows one another. You see young people, you see old people, you see husbands and wives gathering together at the one and only church in town. And they're glad to see one another. They're happy to be there. They wave. And I, you know, it's easy to think back to those as carefree and innocent days. I'm sure they had trials and problems. And at the end of the Sunday, you see the pastor there greeting people, and they're probably saying good message and you know, it's so good to be together. And on their way home, they're leaving. And I always wonder, what did the preacher speak that day? What did he share? I, I wonder, um, who did he speak to? Who did it help and who did it encourage that day? And as I was watching this video of back in the 1950s, of people in a small fishing village out in Nova Scotia going to church, I felt God saying, I want you to stop and just focus on one particular person. So I'm watching the video and that's the person I focused on. I'll choose her. She seems happy. And I have no idea who she is. All, what I know about her is this. She lives in a small fishing village called Forshoe. I know she decided to come and gather together with others in a village at the church on Sunday morning. I know she would have heard a message from God in the message sermon that morning given by the pastor. And I know she seems to be a jolly person, a happy person. That's why I chose her as she leaves church that day. Now, I'm not very good at figuring out people's age, especially back in this day when everybody just looks old to me. I don't know how old she is. It was taken in 1955, I figured, and she was 75. She'd be 142 years old right now, or 122 years old if she's six, uh, 65. I don't know who she is, but I, I know she didn't have internet. I know that this woman did not have cable television. She might have lived long enough to see man on the moon. I don't know. I know that she had no idea how a church in Niagara Falls is exactly from her church to our church, 1,987 kilometers, would be looking at her picture and talking about her some 70 years later. Imagine if we went up to her and said, by the way, there's a people, you know, 70 years later, we're meeting in a church over like 2,000 kilometers away, and they're going to be talking about you. She'd go, what? She had no knowledge of these things, but she would have known about Jesus Christ. She would have known about his word, the Bible, and she knew the encouragement of his church, that is, the people who gathered and learned and fellowshiped together. 
And I know there'd be a day when this lady, even if she was 60, or that she would have died and met Jesus. And she finally met the Jesus whom she heard preached at this church over the course of her life in her small little church on Sundays. She met Jesus face to face, the same Jesus she would have sang about with her family every Sunday in her small little church. As I looked at her, I'm thinking, I believe the gathering for her helped her and prepared her for the day when she did meet the Lord. And she came to her death with a confidence because she came knowing Jesus and the hope that he gives because of, in part, by the fellowship and the gathering of her small church. And I believe she was encouraged. And I believe, just looking at her face, she was encouragement to others. And so, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now, that the day of his return is drawing near. So I want you to turn to somebody in your, turn to the people in your table and thank them for coming to church today. And tell them you're an encouragement to me today. <laughs> you're an encouragement to me today. I trust you didn't come out of duty. I trust, especially in a day like this, when you could have easily stayed home. Nobody would blame you. But it came out of a desire. And to encourage and to be encouraged. And I think the reason God had me watch this video was to encourage me. This is just a small church. But it's a church of people whom God loved and for whom Jesus died, just like this lady. And she matters to God, just like you and I matter to him. I was encouraged also when I looked up this church to see if it was still active in its community today as it was back in that day. And I was happy to find that they were. I was even more encouraged when I read their vision statement. Their vision statement is this. The vision of our church is to make an impact for God here in Forshu, Nova Scotia, by helping people understand the enriching messages of eternal hope given to us by Jesus Christ through his words and deeds. Come as you are. We love to get to know you better. And obviously, these people in the movie were, were faithful. And they left a legacy of hope and encouragement for future generations for today. And they're not a big church, but they were a mighty church. They were faithful, and they made a difference. Or we would not be reading about that church today. They were called out, and they gathered together, and Jesus built his church there upon a called-out people who gathered together, who had no idea that we're talking about them today. But just because someone took an 8-millimeter camera to church one Sunday in the 1950s, we're able to see that and talk about them. My mentor, Ray Dirksen, wrote in one of our church renewal lessons years ago, what makes the church different from human communities, such as unions or clubs, 
is that Christian community isn't rooted in common interests, but in our shared relationship with Jesus. And, you know, I, when you think, that's why we love to give you invitations to come and gather and draw close to God. The abide groups are there to build you. And life groups are there to build you in a way that you can't do it on your own. Um, some of you joined Set Free this past weekend. Um, that, was an, that was an invitation given that you could take a Friday night and part of Saturday and be set free from sins that have been just holding on to you. Uh, I've invited you to team up with me in morning devotional time. Just, uh, well, let's do this together. And, and that's been probably the highlight of my uh, fall so far. Prayer start. You know, we, we start, we prayer, you, talk, you hear me talking about that. It's called prayer start because we start Sunday with prayer. And you say, oh, well, I don't know, do I really make a difference? Yes, you are a warrior. You are a warrior when you come up and you pray with others who gather together. Things will be done that I cannot do, that you cannot do alone. But when you gather together and pray, God is able to move mountains. The Hearing God Seminar, the shape test we gave you to use your spiritual gifts, all of these are invitations to say, let's gather and let's grow and let's know and let's become the called out church who gathers together. We give you these opportunities, invite you to gather so you would have that same eternal hope that's offered through him and only him. And we do it because we want to leave a legacy of hope, don't we? And of encouragement that maybe in 70 years from now, they'll talk about us today, that small church who are faithful, who gathered together so that we were here today. Let me just close with telling this story. About 10 years ago, Glenda and I were in London, England with her family. And we're in the train station ready to board a train to Paris. And I went to get my passport and it was missing. It was stolen out of my hotel room. And to lose your passport when you're abroad in another country is a horrible, horrible thing. You can't go anywhere. You're stuck. And so we got a taxi to the Canadian embassy in London, England, so I could get a temporary passport. And when you face trouble in a foreign country, you want to get to your embassy because the moment you do, you're in your home country. And going to the embassy was like going into an airport. You're entering another country. You had to go through, put all your stuff out and go through screening. They left, took our luggage and locked it outside. So there was nothing in it that would harm them. And you go through the same thing you do in an airport. And around the world, Canada has 112 embassies from Afghanistan to Zimbabwe. And the Canadian embassy is really a little part of Canada in a foreign country. All the laws of Canada apply within that building, in that embassy, even though it's in a foreign land far away from home. All the embassies are sovereign territories. They do not belong to the country they are in, but rather they belong to the country and from which they are from. And the sale of that is that God has an embassy in this world. You know what it's called? The church. And Jesus established the church. I build my church to bring the values and the truth and the hope of the homeland of heaven into this foreign country. 
And this world which you are visiting is not our home. This is not our home. Many act as if it is, but it isn't. We're visiting. This is foreign territory. The Bible says that, dear friends, your real home is not here on earth. You are strangers here in 1 Peter. Hebrews 13, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. In Philippians 3.20, but we are citizens of heaven. And as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, this world is not your home. Your home is with God. And one day we'll go home. But God has set up shop here in this land where you and I are visiting uh, an embassy. And it's called the church. And the church is not to represent the country it is in, but rather is to represent the country it is from. As followers of Jesus, as citizens of heaven, we're called out to be ambassadors throughout the church he's building. To represent him. Think about that. You represent him in this foreign land. And many of you have prayed the Lord's Prayer, I'm sure, where he says, Lord, your will be done here on earth as it is back in home. And we want God's will to be here on earth through us. I've heard Christians being referred to as ambassadors of Christ. And man, that really is an accurate description. It is very, it's a very accurate title for we're representing Jesus. We're representing our home in this foreign land in which we find ourselves. And the problem has been, and it has become more and more of a problem, that our churches, unfortunately, are adopting maybe customs and the values of the land that we're living in instead of the values of our homeland. We have to remember we're called out to be different. We're called out to represent not these values, but the values of our Lord. And that's why we invite you to gather, to encourage, to learn, to hear, to grow, so we can be better citizens for him here in this foreign land. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.